Hello and welcome to the PSPA podcast, which has been brought to you thanks to the kind support of the Pavers Foundation in memory of Mary Yule. I'm Liz Sturgis, one of PSPA's Helpline Care Navigators, and I will be here with you once a month chatting to carers from the PSP and CBD community about a range of topics. Today we're talking to Claire Wells about her experience of caring for her mother, both at home and now while she lives in a care home. Welcome Claire and thank you for joining us. Thank you. So Claire, to begin with, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your mum, who has a diagnosis of CBD and what symptoms she was initially displaying and when did she receive her diagnosis? Uh, So my mum is, well, she was, well, she's she's Austrian um, and was always really interested in um, hiking naturally, swimming in lakes, uh, was just life and soul the party. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I think it was around 2008 where she thought it was... um, some heels that she'd bought that were maybe not quite the right fit but she felt that she was getting a numb a numb toe but kind of dismissed it um but very very slowly over months and years really felt like that it was spreading um and you know she had various sort of I don't know clumsy hands and was sort of having some falls and uh did eventually go to the doctor and, and get some tests but because it was just that at the, at the time as a symptom she wasn't really taken seriously to be honest okay. um she did go to and have some MRI scans but they it, it was just never diagnosed um and then really it was the official diagnosis came through in 2018 um and I feel that's only because we had we they they needed to decide whether it was spinal or neuro, and we went to the Royal Orthopaedic, the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in London, and we just expected it to be another appointment where no one would listen. We, you know, usually we'd wait a few months for an appointment and get our hopes up uh, to find out what on earth this what what this really was and they'd only have 10 or 20 minutes for us and wouldn't look her in the eye and they just didn't have the time they were rushing between appointments but this one was ended up being three hours um, and they apologized for the experience that she'd had they brought up loads of MRI scans that other healthcare professionals had said gone missing Um, and so they 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 really spent the time and and, uh, eventually uh put her on the waiting list to see another neurologist but that neurologist then diagnosed her with cbd and had you know really looked into the difference between a brain scan done in 2014 versus a more recent one and he said it's very clear you can tell there's deterioration of the brain Mm. um so that's when we we first noticed it that was a long long process for you and a difficult one by the sound of it yeah and I think she was diagnosed with atypical CBD and mm. I think that's where a lot of people have different sometimes I read stories on on your social media or uh, about other people that have got CBD and I, I, I think it, it 
presents itself differently for everybody mm. um and unfortunately i think the atypical version means that she had it but the the symptoms don't present themselves as quickly as other people so it's actually quite difficult to to get a diagnosis or at least a fast diagnosis and mm. often like everyone else i hear you know she also got a diagnosis of parkinson's and Yes, um, and also that a lot of people a lot of do- her GP and another neurologist just said it's all in your head mm. which was the most uh, upsetting for her because she started to believe it as well yeah. and actually her partner at the time and his family were all really gossiping a bit and saying is it just in her head is she going crazy um, it was that was actually the most unpleasant part of it all mm. And, and were you living close to your mum at that time to give us support? And, and what impact did it have on you and your family? Uh, so I was, she, she had been dating, well, her partner was my best friend's dad. And they had been living together in his house for 10 years. Um, they enjoyed lots of nice holidays, scuba diving, skiing. Uh, went to visit the flat in Austria and they had a great time Um, but I think as the symptoms started progressing she wasn't really able to 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 go skiing and scuba diving anymore and if she did go on holidays with him he often needed to sort of help her across the road or you know if they were in a bar Mm. in London I think you know literally just between one the bar and the seat and the chair he'd have to she couldn't confidently walk by herself without falling over and I think really he 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 she just wasn't this clam person on his arm anymore so um he based I think it was in 2016 in August he I got a message from her I was on holiday and she said that you know he'd he'd ended a relationship and that she was back in her top floor converted Victorian flat in in um, Sutton in Surrey uh, which obviously accessibility wise was a nightmare but she was still walking at that point with a with a, a Zimmer frame um, and so I, I'd been renting that from her so when I got back from holiday mum was in the flat and that's really when I started caring for her um she was still working I was she was still working full-time so was I but I asked my work if I could amend my hours so that I could we had a routine (laughs) so so every morning I would go downstairs at the same time as her two flights of stairs one internal within the flat and the other one was communal stairs We'd go downstairs, uh, I'd help her to the car, and actually in the car, because she changed from a manual to automatic, which did help her while she was still walking, um, she was able to drive. So I amended my working hours so that I'd get to work a little bit earlier, so it it went in line with her. And then when she got to work, she would ring uh, her workmate, who would then help her from the car and to work. So she managed to do that for quite a long time. Uh, and then I ended up finishing work a little bit earlier so that I could get the train back from London 
she would wait in the car near Sutton Station. I'd get in the car and then we'd go home and I'd help her back up the stairs. So that was our, that was our routine to begin with. Um, and then Brexit happened. So we knew ultimately that was, it was not accessibility wise. It was an absolute nightmare. There were steep stairs and it was just really scary every time we walked up and down the stairs. Um, but yeah, so mum put the house on the market and then Brexit happened, but we did still manage to, to well, the vote for Brexit happened, yeah. um, but it, it, you know, it did affect um, house prices, but we did eventually manage to move, but it took a good six months to get out. Um, and we were told that if you were to apply for council housing, it would take just as long to get on the waiting list. Um, so we just waited and waited for the sale to go through. Um, and moved to Milton Keynes to an accessible property where I've got friends here. So you had this amazing routine when you were living in the flat. Did you have any external help then? And how did that change when you moved to Milton Keynes? See, I think to a certain degree in the flat, mum was at that point in, you know, she was using a frame. So she had a frame upstairs in the flat and a frame downstairs for going outside. And she would, she was still really able to, to move, but she really, she often had falls. So I could go for a run for 20 minutes and come back and find her on the kitchen floor. And unfortunately, because she had osteoporosis, uh generally it meant she always did fracture a bone and and that that was always my nervousness about ever leaving her because a fall didn't just mean a fall it meant that it was almost certainly that she would break something yes um and so I do remember going away for a weekend and a friend's granddaughter came in and helped but in terms of care support at that point in Sutton we didn't didn't asked for which I didn't in fact I didn't know anything about the sister care system at all I didn't have a clue um but it was only when we moved to Milton Keynes that mum had some further falls uh and eventually one ended up being in the in the shower where she fractured her lumbar spine Mm. and that meant she was then permanently in a wheelchair uh so that's really when I, I I quit my job in London because I was just getting too many um, alerts to say, and that's really if she even had her phone on her, it was just too much of a worry for me because she would be on the floor and and not and took a couple of hours to get back from London at least. Yes. So that's when we did start looking into to carers, but very slowly she really didn't. You know, she was only in her mid to late 60s at that point. So she really, really, really was not on board with the idea of getting extra help. No, no. it's not something you think of, is it? It's what, something you associate with being that bit older, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. You sort of struggle on. So um, you had you gave up your job. Um, what about sort of managing sort of relaxation and seeing friends? And, and did you find that, all the extra support you gave to your mum actually changed the relationship you had with her? Uh, yeah, so we've, we, we ended up with a, a good 
care agency in and they did come in um really I guess to allow me some respite so you know there's a uh, I've got friends down the road which is which is really uh, lucky um and had we still been in London I don't think I would have actually been able to leave the house because it took yeah. too long to reach people in the underground on the train but at least here I could escape escape is not the right word but I could um you know have some time out for me with friends for half an hour an hour and then I would come back so we kind of did it um we did it like that and it did work for a while um but things just got the, the condition just progressed and it progressed uh, and eventually I was up you know kind of 10 times a night and I was tired and yeah. uh, completely sleep deprived and I think yeah it did affect our relationship unfortunately really in the end um, but then I do remember you know every um, she would say I really appreciate everything um, you do for me <laughs> And that was kind of our thing. Um, she would basically say every evening, so I would help her into bed. And yeah, so I guess that was kind of, you know, we might have had a few tiffs or whatever, but um, she, you know, we, we still had a, we always will have a, um, a really good relationship. Um, and we did also go to Amsterdam as well and the Eurostar which was amazing so yeah no I mean it did it definitely did towards the end but I think um, yeah she was really like my best friend so Mm. sorry (laughs) oh it was obviously really difficult for you to talk about. We do appreciate you attempting to anyway. How long had you been living in the property in Milton Keynes before you realised that actually mum was going to need a bit more care than it was practical for you to be doing and, and care outside care agencies as well? Uh, I think it was... It was actually at the end of the Amsterdam trip that I noticed things were that things cognitively were declining um and again it was quite slow but it was really starting to be quite obvious um and upsetting and she'd sort of say things like when's dad coming home but you know she she was divorced from him when I was 11 and he's died, he, he died when I was 21. So it, it was things like that that used to come up and I thought, oh no, okay. Um, and I think in Amsterdam on one of the last days, even though the rest of the holiday was fantastic, she just got really, really upset and frustrated because she was uh, an account, a finance manager, very good with numbers, very good with remembering things and dates and all sorts. And I think we've just talked about, I don't know, a physiotherapist appointment. And I said, oh, no, it's on. She said, oh, we're missing it because we're in Amsterdam. I said, no, it's next week when we're back. And she was just really upset about it. So I started noticing mm. 
um, a decline then. And, and, and basically in December, I think it was 2018, she just declined within 24 hours. It was quite, it was really shocking. Um, and she really leans almost to a right degree angle to the left. Um, and, you know, I, I called as many of the carers as I could that day um, and they couldn't get her to sit upright properly. Um, and then we, we ended up having to call the ambulance. And unfortunately, that was Christmas in hospital. Mm. Uh, and I mean, we did get really good support there. Um, I think a lot of the healthcare professionals were pretty amazed that I was doing it all by myself. Yeah. Um, but that was a point where it was the OT and the hospital OT and physio said that because I was begging to say, I, you know, I really want to continue looking after mum. And so they did, you know, show me what to do, but it, they said it's, it's a two person job. Uh, so after hospital, we did try that with the agency. Um, but that, then I really, really did not get any respite at all. It was really, um, it was really exhausting. Mum was a completely different person as well. Cognitively, she was accusing me of poisoning her. And mm. it was just really upsetting. And she kept thinking she was in Canberra or America. And, um, and her pain was just through the roof. So then Will and Hospice accepted um, her as an inpatient just to very quickly control her pain relief, which did work. Um, and at that point, they helped me apply for the continuing healthcare fund uh, which mum was successful for she oh, wow. I know a lot of people have issues with getting it but I think at that stage when you can tick a lot of the boxes she really wasn't in a very good state so it it wasn't um luckily because I know people have issues um getting it but she she did get it mm. um and so it was at that point that we she went into a nursing home uh, local one and and did you find somewhere suitable quickly or was it was that a difficult job uh, I went with my best friend I, I wanted a, a sort of second opinion I, I won't lie some of them were absolutely horrendous uh, and they a couple of them had been ones that had been recommended to me um, one was like a hotel and I couldn't fault it at all, but it, because it was out of our, uh, slightly out of our, our, out of Milton Keynes, CHC wouldn't allow me to choose it. Um, but the one I went through, went for, um, which she's still at now is it's taken a while because she's got such complex care needs. Mm. It's meant that we've, you know, myself along with mum's amazing neurological nurse specialists and Will and her hospice have helped train the nurses the carers uh, absolutely everybody with her, the sort of complex care needs that requirements and I'd say now finally we are at a good stage where um, and their staff turnaround isn't that high actually so it means that she's got actually a few you know favorite carers uh, but it did take a long time for me to get my head around her being at home because actually it's not something that it wasn't very her mm. um if that makes sense and it's never something we ever spoke about well she did say that she she just she didn't like the idea of it but I think it, it was 
in, under a completely different situation. I don't think either of us ever thought it was going to get to this point. Yeah. Um, because her own mum and dad died in their sleep in their 80s. So I don't think we, I think we just assumed we were just from good genes and this wouldn't, this sort of yeah. thing happens to other people. Um, yeah. So it is something I wish I'd discussed a little bit more with her. Because um, I think if I were to have children now, I would just say to them, look, just stick me in a home or if you need to, because it's, yeah. 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 The yeah. guilt I felt afterwards was pretty horrendous, to be yeah. honest. And that's something we hear quite quite a lot, but it and it is a difficult decision to make, but it's usually the right one, isn't it? So, and so I'm. I just wanted to ask then: Did that then change your relationship with your mum? Did you find that you went back to being daughter rather than carer? Yes, I think I probably did actually, um, because then I was in a position where I could control her care and be an advocate for her uh I was in I mean what I would say about Covid is actually pre-Covid I was in every single day as often as I possibly could be which in many ways perhaps isn't actually that healthy for me um and it probably came from a place of guilt um But she, but she had lost her cognition. She attended to repeat a lot of what was being said, but she was able to form sentences as well. Yeah. Um, but she wasn't basically before that Christmas. She she did in terms of my mum, like her. She wasn't the same person anymore. Mm. Um, and certainly now she's not able to speak at all, which is very upsetting to see for mm. somebody who obviously didn't communicate well with you before and and so you you mentioned that before the pandemic you were going in really frequently how did that change you know because access to loved ones in care homes changed didn't it because of the pandemic did you manage to see her much and what what happened at that point uh well I, I remember taking a video literally the day before the first lockdown of mum because I, I did say to the nurses oh, I think her speech is deteriorating and she was still talking, but the sentences were muddled. Um, mm. And I remember thinking at the same at work as well, we, we, in the comms team, we said, well, do we plan a, a COVID-19 appeal? And we're like, nah, the world's not going to shut down for a, <laughs> for a virus. So we didn't really think much of it. And then obviously that was it. And the care homes were shut down. And, and I think for someone that's got complex needs and, and can't communicate via video, it was really difficult and I yeah. you know I know her deterioration in communication is obviously because of the condition as well but I wouldn't be surprised if it also was basically a whole year of not really having me right there to speak to mm. her because when the the carer would hold the the iPad with me on it she would often look at him or her it was almost like anything on the video wouldn't really be, she didn't really kind of think was real, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so it, unless I was there physically, it wasn't quite the same. Um, but yeah, no, she would still say, you know, she was at that point still able to say things like, Liebe dich, oh, we just love you too in German. Um, and I think it was upsetting for me when 
when she was able to not form sentences anymore while COVID, while I wasn't able to go in, that's, that was what was very difficult. You've raised an interesting question there. Um, presumably German was your mum's first language. Did, has she reverted to German or does she still understand English? So she, she was doing a bit, she was still able to do a bit of both. Um, and I still speak to her both in both German and English, but she, yeah, she, de- she absolutely doesn't, she, she just can't communicate at all anymore in any way. Um, but yeah, before she was, she did, I, I thought the same, maybe she'd revert back to German, but she definitely could do both. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you got something called essential caregiver status. How did you get it and what what difference has it made to to visiting? Well, at the time it was uh, really stressful to apply for, but, you know, I think it it was, I was never not going to fight for it. Um, I'd found a Facebook group, actually, I'd seen things on on the news about a, a group called Rights of Residence, which have still got a Facebook group at the moment, and, they, and there's a website as well. Um, and they they said there's this thing called essential care giver status, and really it wasn't very widely known about. Mm. Um, so they've got brilliant resources section on their website, which just it gives you a template of what to send to the care home, and if the care home say no it's got a template of what to write to your local PM if they refuse. Um, so I was ready for it all. Like I've, I've, I completed a spreadsheet um, with all the information I possibly needed. Um, and unfortunately, when I did first apply to the care home for that essential caregiver status, they refused and said and blamed the head office that it was head office that was saying that we, we just when we can't do this at the moment even though it was part of the government guidelines right. and eventually I had to go to the head office and say and really threaten to write to my local PM or contact CQC and then surprise surprise they did listen and um, we had a meeting between myself the manager the regional manager and the head office where we arranged when I would visit so it went from 30 minutes a week to six hours a week wow so I can now go in on Wednesdays Fridays and Sundays and I imagine more and also essential caregiver status gives you if there was another lockdown uh god forbid but if there was then that gives me the opportunity just to come in as 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 a member of staff so every wednesday i have a uh, the not the lateral flow the pcr test yeah that's every wednesday and i have a, a lateral flow test every time i go in on my designated day uh, I wear full PPE I go straight up I, they, they do a temperature check I go straight up to mum's room and I don't leave mum's room um, and I help her with her uh, sister with her food I washed her hair the other day sing to her so it's just things that essential caregiver status is for anyone who might require emotional as well as physical uh help assistance or 
And ultimately, anyone on the residential floor, one of their arguments initially was, well, we can't just give that to you because that means every, we have to give it to everyone. But that's not the case because people on the residential floor generally haven't got nursing needs. Obviously, mum's on the nursing floor. Yes. And, you know, anyone with on the dementia nursing floor, I think, has a right to apply for, for that status. And uh, it doesn't mean that you... Another thing that they tried to say was that I have to go in you know commit like a staff member and that's not the case at all either uh also you don't have to be double jabbed but I am yeah they did try and bring things into it obstacles in my way but uh the rights of residents website is fantastic it's got all the the brilliant resources and uh it's a shame more people don't know about it Mm. uh so it's made all the difference yeah Thank you. That, I mean, some useful links there and useful information in that, which I'm sure people will find really helpful and um, some of the pitfalls when applying for it as well. And so as well as, you know, that, that information about essential caregiver, are there any other tips you'd like to share with people who are listening who maybe are caring for a parent or a loved one at home or they're thinking about considering a care home in the future? What, what, what would you say to them? Uh, I think something I regret not looking into more was the idea of respite. I know there's some charities out there that do offer it, but it, 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 I don't know, perhaps I just didn't get the time, but I think looking back, um, it would have, it was just difficult because mum was, you know, you've got age concern that, that offer, um volunteers that will come and and you know um sit with your loved one for an hour but it was difficult because of her age uh but I would I would look into into respite so I also think I think I've said this before um not to not to not to think of a wheelchair as the end of the road uh, because actually, if you use a wheelchair when you need it and then use the Zimmer frame in a sort of safe environment, then actually you will, you can really survive the conditions for longer. Yes. Uh, I think as soon as you have too many falls, you're unfortunately setting yourself back. Uh, another thing was that was brilliant was mum and I initially went to the, the gym uh, so every day and I think that really did help to keep moving mm. uh, for as long as you possibly can uh, there's there are it, it does take a bit of googling but there are uh, adaptive gyms out there which once you find are brilliant um, that really help people transfer from potentially a wheelchair or a stand uh, with a standing aid yeah so there's lots of things you can do and I wonder whether when thinking about respite did you ever have a social services carers assessment because you can get some respite sometimes through them no I remember I remember they called me and said they're a year behind or something on their oh. applications <laughs> just it was just ridiculous uh so no that didn't happen you so much for joining us today Claire you shared some really useful insights into caring for your mum and I'm sure many of our listeners will be able to take something home with them to 
aid their experience. Um, but thank you so much. So uh, if, you, if you need to talk to anyone about caring for a loved one, don't forget the PSPA helpline is here to listen and offer information and support. Currently, we're trialing extended hours for the helpline, which means we're available from 9am to 9pm, Monday to Friday. If you'd like to speak to the helpline in confidence, you can call us on 0300 or email us at helpline at pspassociation.org.uk. Thank you.